Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus. At 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Hey, the title of your message is called Wake Up. Wake Up. Some of our, uh, our uh, young people on the announcements, they needed that. <laughs> I looked a little sleepy this morning. Wake up! Wake up. How many of you are morning people? Yeah, raise your hand. I, I've asked this, I asked this about a year ago in here. The stats have not changed. And, and the, my response is, I still can't stand you guys. I, I am not a morning person. Some of you who are not morning people, maybe you were dragged here. I want to encourage you to wake up this morning. Uh, we're going to go over two, two little things here real quick. We're going to see some what-ifs come out, and there's a call to wake up. So you guys ready? You guys ready? Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that this word would go forth, and Lord, it would produce transformation, life change. It would sink into the, the, the recesses of our heart and change us and awaken us to who you are. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, we, are, we are in the story. How many of you enjoyed the story? Has it been good? We've been having some... It, it's just been great. We, we've gone through all the way through the Old Testament. And we're coming right now, we're coming up to the Gospels. And, and if we look at the Gospels, which Pastor talked about last week, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew points to Jesus as the King. And if we look at Mark, it, it points to Jesus as the servant, Luke, Jesus as the Son of Man, and, and the gospel we're going to be in this morning, and if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. John points to Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus as the Son of God. I'll give you a little background. As we look at John chapter 11, at this particular time, Jesus was being rejected by almost everyone. And he was an unwelcome guest, apparently in most homes. He was walking and preaching, proclaiming that he was one with God. John says that he was the Son of God himself. He was making these proclamations. And for this, Jesus was thought to be mad, demon-possessed, crazy, a radical. His own family was even having difficulty with him at this time, and they were apparently somewhat embarrassed by his claims of this insanity. On, on several occasions, they will travel to go see him and try to bring him home. However, there's one family, and we see them in John chapter 11, there's one family who always opened up their home to Jesus when he was in and around Jerusalem. This was the family of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. See, they lived in Bethany, which was a suburb about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And, and this closeness to Jesus, and, and they had this bond with Jesus, so much so that at this point in John chapter 11, they felt free to inter- interrupt his evangelical tour with a request to help their brother, sick brother Lazarus. Jesus loved this family. Without question, he, was, he, was, he loved this family. And as we look at this story that many of us have heard time and time again, the raising of Lazarus is one of the greatest of all miracles recorded in the gospel outside the resurrection of Christ. I'll give you a little background. John and who he is and what he was writing John's testimony, his book was about great miracles. It was the miracle book. And then the miracle book, you can kind of go alongside with that. It was proclaiming Jesus and his authority as the Son of God. Real quick, in John chapter 2, it says, Jesus has authority over nature. 
and he turned the water into wine. Crazy. In John chapter 5, he has authority over human illness and weakness, and it was demonstrated when he heals the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 6, we see kind of the twin miracles, the feeding of 5,000. And in that feeding of 5,000, symbolically presented himself as the bread of life and then walking on water. In John chapter 9, we witness the opening of the blind man, the man born blind. And, and, and the sim, it symbolizes the removing of the clay of humanity from our eyes. And, and now we can see this light of the world and who he is. And so now in, in John chapter 11, we approach the raising of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus. And this miracle will be the peaking sign of Christ and his identity, establishing his claim to be Lord and Son of God, the Lord of life, conquering death. This miracle would bring like kind of the, the climax of, of people's opinion and what was going to happen. You see, more than ever before, the crowds of people will be attracted to Jesus. And more than ever before, his naysayers or those who oppose Jesus will be about destroying him. This miracle. It's a, it's a death story. But it's also a life story. And I want to look at this story this morning and some life principles and some different responses that we see. And we're going to look at three main characters this morning, three main people this morning. We have the disciples. We have the sisters, Mary and Martha. And we have the crowd. So we're going to look at these responses. You guys ready? If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11. The first response, the first group of people we see kind of in this, woven in the story. It's a lot of scripture. You've got to hang with me. Is the disciples' response. Number one, the disciples' response. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, verse 1. He was from Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, the sickness, he said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of I love that. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. What? He loved them so much. And when he heard they were sick, he stayed there. He stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. See, the disciples were concerned about his safety. And yet you're going back. Jesus answered, aren't there not only 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble. For if they see the word, he's he's all prophesying about himself and who he is. It is when a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to them. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. I like this. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, won't he get better? I I love sleep. Right? In fact, I think think NyQuil heals kind of all. Anybody with me? Just get some sleep. In our house, for the adults, it's NyQuil. For the kids, it's Band-Aids. Those kind of things just take care of everything. You guys with me? Put a Band-Aid on it. You got a fever? Just put one on your forehead. It'll fix it. I don't know where that came from. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So they told him plainly, he told them plainly, guys, you don't get it. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Hmm. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. What they have to do, they, they've traveled across the Jordan River to two miles to Bethany. And, and Mary and Martha have just sent word that Lazarus is sick, he's dying, and he's, and he's dead. So we've got this thing playing out here. The Jewish burial, burial would immediately follow death. They didn't, they didn't waste time. And, and we see probably most scholars and what it says in Scripture is, is four full days go by. Because you, you have one day for the traveler of the messengers bringing the word to Jesus. Jesus said he stayed there two days to kind of complete his ministry. And then another day for travel to get back to Bethany. And there's this unbelief that we see come out in the disciples' part. Like, hey, sleeping, death, it's kind of scary out here. Lazarus is dead, and you're going to wake him up? I'm a little confused. Lazarus is dead, and you're going to wake him up. Have you, ever, have you ever asked God to do something in your life, but it was on your own timetable? To, to drop everything, God, I need you in this situation to come to my rescue right now. God, I need you right now. Anybody ever had those conversations with God? If at any moment, God, I need you now. We deal with teenagers in our ministry. God, I, this chemistry test, I need you in this moment right now. Right? You're at the job situation. There's things that arise in your life. There's stuff going on. God, I need you right now. I want to encourage you from what we see to this story, and especially from these disciples' perspectives and what they will discover. There's two things that they discover that I believe that are powerful for every believer. The first thing is that God's delays are not God's denials. And get that. God's delays are not God's denials. The one you love is sick. I love that guy. I'm broken with compassion. Let me hold on. Let me stay here for two days. We find that, I find that with God and the way he moves, that delays are are often God's on-ramps for something bigger. He's moving and acting on our behalf, constantly moving and constantly active on our behalf. And sometimes we think that when God doesn't answer us in the way we think he should answer us, in our certain time that he should answer us, we find God is this cosmic killjoy. God, are you there? What's going on? Anybody had these conversations? And, we, and we, we have this perspective because God doesn't do what I want to do on my timetable. It affects my view of who God is. When all actuality, God is active. And in his perfect timing, he is working, constantly working, constantly moving in our lives. You see, as disciples, and what I believe we have, have a limited view. And we can only, we only see through these lenses, this kind of tunnel vision of what they've seen Christ do in the past, of what they've seen going on, of what we've seen, the trouble around us. And they have this limited view, this limited perspective. Here's the thing about God, and this is good news. God is never late. He's, he's seldom early. How many of you would agree with that? He's, he's seldom early. And, and at some point, I think that's the way he wants it, right? To trust and rely on him. What does it say in Romans 8, 28? And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And if I know the trial and test I am and that I'm going through, and it's working together for the good, 
Sometimes we just need to stop yelling at God and just start trusting in who he is. That his timing is perfect. That God's delays in your life are not denials. That he's working something out according to his purpose and plan. Elbow your neighbor and tell him that's good. The next thing we see from the disciples is that God's timing and perspective is perfect. God's timing and perspective, while it's different from ours, it is perfect. His timing and perspective is perfect. It's perfect in our joys. It's perfect in crisis. It's perfect in sickness and all the stuff that's going around. It's perfect in the challenges of travel and the things that we will face in life. You see, I'm bound by my limited perspective. I have a limited perspective. Let me say on a side note, my limited perspective is very, very selfish. Get that. My limited perspective is is very, very selfish. I have limits. And here we have the character of God who has no limits. I'm bound by time. He's not bound by time. But what I try to do, listen to me, I try to do is I try to superimpose God into my time and my perspective. And then when, again, when God doesn't act or when he doesn't perform as, as for me, like my puppet, like a cosmic Santa Claus in the sky, according to my schedule, I get mad and frustrated. And I doubt. And we say, where are you? What are you doing? His timing and his perspective are perfect. Ecclesiastes 3, it says that there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, born to die, to plant, to uproot, to kill, to heal, all of those things. And verse 11 goes on to say and kind of culminates everything. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. From my selfish perspective, no one can fathom. I try to superimpose God. You see, we don't always see all that God has done, all that he's working on, all that he's going to do. We see the small. He sees the big picture. I want to encourage you, trust him. Trust him. I know I'm jumping right in this morning. You got to go with me. Trust him. You see, when I don't accept this as truth, when I don't accept this as truth, I go back to the delay and the denial. And what it does is it gives me a jaded perspective. And I see this all the time with teenagers. You never answer. You never hear. I never do all of this. We have a big God who has a massive, perfect perspective and timing for what he's going to do. See, you look at this story, death isn't the final word. Jesus is the final word. You see, whatever crisis or difficult you're going through, cancer, financial, family issues, the prodigal, all that stuff that leads us to the point of destruction and death, Jesus is the final word. Trust in Jesus. Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm glad. Didn't that bring you comfort this morning? My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Many of us know this scripture, but we never trust in it or believe in it for ourselves. Looking at these disciples, 
They're getting the, the timing stuff. They're putting things in right perspective. They're struggling with that. Next group that we see, number two, is we see not only do we have this disciples perspective struggling with all the timing and all those perspectives, but number two, we see the sisters. The sisters' response. Verse 17, stay with me here. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them at the loss of their brother. That's where it gets good. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet with him, but Mary stayed home. Get that, Mary stayed home. The Lord, Lord, Martha said, look at this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha goes to the natural. I know he will rise on resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, and this is it. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. There's John's phrase again, who has come into the world. After she she went back and called Mary, she said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house were comforting, noticed how quickly she got up. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus, she fell at his feet. Says, Lord, what? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, now look at this. See how he loved them. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Mary and Martha, Mary's the one who wipes Jesus' feet. Martha's the busy one in the kitchen. You know, we see that story often. And in verse 28, Jesus sends a messenger to tell Martha that he's arrived. And as soon as she hears, she, she quietly leaves the house and runs out to meet. Notice the difference between Mary and Martha. Martha was the woman of action. Anybody action people? You're, you're, you're the doer, Right? I'm, I'm gonna, Mar- Martha is the woman of action, the energy. She's breaming with initiative. She's moving. And she was the one to first meet Jesus. Mary, she's the contemplative one. She's hanging out at the feet. She remained at home to receive the mourners. She's, she's broken inside. You see, Martha believed in Jesus. Listen to me. This is good. Believed in Jesus. She believed that Jesus could have healed Lazarus and kept him from dying. But why did Jesus not come when he was called? Don't we ask that question? Why did Jesus not come when he quiet? You see, here's the point. The point is this. Martha did believe in Jesus. Listen. But her own and made her own decision. She didn't consult with the friends or the neighbors. She didn't even go to those who were closest with us. She hears the whisper that Jesus is here and she gets up, leaving everybody behind. Nothing mattered to Mary. And she made the decision to break away. She made the decision to fall at his feet. And she responded to his call. And when she did this, she found out something about Jesus' character. Not only is he in control, but he cares. He cares. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come alongside of her, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. There are three words here that I want you to grab a hold of very quickly that we need to understand to grasp the concept that he cares. The first thing we see is that he was deeply moved. The Greek is there in your outline. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. But it literally means to snort like a horse. What are you talking about? Generally connotates a a bit bit of anger. And what happens is, is Jesus is deeply moved. I believe, and what most scholars believe, that it probably expressed his resentment against the ravages of death and sin that entered humanity. He's frustrated. He's mad at death. He's snorting. Where is he? I'm deeply moved. And it says that he's troubled. This word means agitation or confusion. And here you get a glimpse of his humanity, that he's feeling the grief over his close and personal friend, Lazarus. And lastly, you see, overcome by emotion, he gave way to weeping. And he burst into tears, and it says that Jesus wept. And that's not just a tear. It says he, he, he weeps. I'm just on a side note. When was the last time that we were deeply and moved and we were troubled by the things that are happening in our world? That the sin, the, the, the sin that leads to death and destruction in your world, that it deeply moved you in anger and compassion and love, and, and, and you wept before the Lord. Does that happen in your life? You see, he was deeply moved by Mary, who was broken in sorrow. He was deeply moved by Martha, who was gripped by the pain in her heart. He was deeply moved by those who were feeling the the, the essence of death, of Lazarus and his sorrow and the family and all those who had gathered. He was deeply moved by tragedy itself, death itself, spiritual death. And he's angry at the destruction of sin. Remember, listen, he is getting ready to place the weight of sin upon his back, the price so that we could have life. All of this is coming to him. This is what you learn about Jesus. This is he's in control. But bigger than that, he, he cares about your situation. And we may be thinking of the denial, and we may be thinking all of this stuff, and we may be thinking about his timing and his perspective, but he cares. He cares. He sympathizes. Only does he do that. But the last thing, very quickly, that we see. He meets us where we live. He goes to them. He reaches out towards this, these sisters. And he cares. And he says, take me. Take me there. I want to be around you. I want to show compassion with you. I want to weep with you. He has compassion and he, has, and he cares uh, for us. He's the I am. He's what we need. Look at Isaiah 46 verse 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I love this, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. In my perfect timing, in my perfect will, because I'm in control, because I care for you, I come to where you're at. You guys seeing this progression? I'm excited about it. Some of you are. Some of you will get there. Number three, the crowd's response. Verse 38. Jesus, once more, deeply moved, snorting like a horse. Love that. Comes to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. And I love this. But Lord, said Martha, 
the sister of a dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. See, his timing is different than ours. You guys with me? His perspective is different than ours. You see, at this point, Jesus is now taking the incredible risk. He knows that this miracle will be the major turning point with his crucifixion in sight. That this miracle is what everyone has been waiting to see. It's the questioner of those who are mourning. It's in the minds of the family and friends and the religious people. Can Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead? Verse 40. Jesus said, Did I not tell you, if you, will, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Right, I'm with you. I'm t- I'll roll this thing away, even though it stinks. Took away the stone. Jesus looked up and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Love that. And I know that you always hear me. Look at this phrase. But I said this for the benefit of the people. I said this for the benefit of the people, the crowd, those who are standing there, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Wake up. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, looking like a mummy. And the cloth around his face, Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is it right here. Think about it. Think about it. The crowd. We're the crowd, right? We're sitting. We're standing, wondering if Jesus can move in my impossible situation. Waiting, wondering, doubting, the denial, all that stuff that we're going through. Can he move in my impossible situation? Can he turn it around for his glory? I love uh, how John closes the book in, in chapter 20, verse 30. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not recorded. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. What does he do this for? What is this miracle for? You see, Lazarus is way better off, right? Right? This miracle is for the people so that they may believe he's the Son of God. So that they may believe he's the son of God. For the benefit of the crowd, Jesus prayed out loud. Now call Lazarus by name. You see, here's what you need to realize. The first thing, everything Jesus will do is so the crowd would believe him and find him. It's for you. It's for you. He's about people. He's about rescue. He's about searching out. It's for you. And the other thing we see is that the, the, the freedom that Jesus has provided to take the grave clothes off. Two key things right here at the end. He comes to you. He's got compassion on the crowd. And he desires us to take those grave clothes off. This whole thing was symbolic for that, that group right there. Listen, throw this stuff off. Listen to the language of Colossians. I love it. He sends, he sends Lazarus. He goes shopping, brand new wardrobe. Here, you're, you're alive. You were dead. Listen to the language of Colossians, the put on and put off. Paul is speaking about the earthly nature. He says in Colossians 3 verse 8, But now you must put off all such these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Colossians 3, skip down to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and earthly love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. This is the calling. 
This is the calling. He, he does these miracles in our life. He is working behind the scenes. He is working in his timing, in his provision, in a perfect way for you. And he says, listen, come out here. This, I'm doing this for you to work in your life. Now get rid of that junk. Get rid of the doubt. Get rid of the fear. Get rid of the anger. Get rid of the stuff that keeps you in the grave. And live because I am the resurrection and the life. You guys with me? See, today, Jesus calls every one of us by name. He calls you. He says, come forth. He says, I can help you. I am. I am. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. As the band slips up this morning, Jesus calls. He says, what's your need? Some of you have, have, have had some crazy things go on in your heart and your life. Some of you things are walking. You feel like you're walking through the fire. I don't know, I don't know your financial situation. I don't know your health situation. I don't know the health of your family situation. I don't know all those things that are going on in your heart and your life. There are people in here who are struggling like the disciples. And you, you feel like God is delaying you. And some of you are doubting him almost to the point of denial. And you're giving him a few more chances. And yeah, I know he's good. But all of this stuff. Once you know God's timing and his perspective is perfect. Some of you in here, you're, you're surrounded by the what ifs. What if? What if? What if? And we live in this past kind of scenario. I want you to know this morning that God is in control. That God cares. And he's ready to even meet you this morning. He's to meet you where you're at in your time of need. And some of you may be like the crowd. You could be an onlooker here this morning. I want you to know that everything is in, that is in this word, everything that's a testimony of my life and the lives of these believers is for you. He does work. He does miracles. He does that for you, the crowd, because he loves you and he has compassion for you. And he desires you to stop living in that grave that you feel like you're living in and step out and receive his righteousness and his holiness and walk in newness of life. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.